This is the What Now Podcast. I think I always loved school. I liked being a student. I liked learning and I did well at it. And I think I figured, well, if you're, if you like learning and you like education, the highest level you can do it at is to be a university professor. So that's what I was aspiring to even in eighth grade. This is the What Now Podcast, where we discuss the culture and beliefs in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in an honest and faithful way in an effort to encourage, uplift, and inspire. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Join me as I speak with Bridget Madrin, who grew up visiting Brigham Young University campus with her father and dreamt of one day becoming a professor herself. Bridget used her faith and intellect to navigate her way through some of the most prestigious institutions of learning, building a strong foundation that would prepare her to ultimately return to BYU to accept the role of the first female dean of the Marriott School of Business at Brigham Young University. Jump in and learn a little bit about you for a lot of people who don't know who you are. And just to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I grow up. I was born in Pocatello, Idaho. And then shortly thereafter, my family moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I don't remember much of the time there. I start to remember things when my father accepted a position as a sociology professor at BYU when we moved to Provo when I was about three or four. And I started attending BYU as a (laughs) four-year-old, attended the BYU preschool program, graduated from that, grew up. I feel like I grew up on campus. It was a home away from home, attended BYU as an undergraduate and graduated with a degree in economics in 1989. And then I went to MIT in Boston and got my PhD in economics. And that's when I started my career as an academic. Oh my gosh. Okay. So tell me, were you encouraged as a child to pursue a professional career in academia since your father was in that? I was never encouraged to do it, but I think the really important thing is I was never discouraged from doing it. My dad used to bring me to work with him sometimes, and it was probably in the summertime. That seems like what I remember. And at the time, I thought, oh, yeah, my dad, he wants to bring me to work with him. And now as an adult, I look back on it and I think I was probably driving my dad or my mom nuts. And she probably said to my she probably said to my dad, Spence, you've got to get this child out of the house. And he would take me to work and I would wander the buildings and I would take his wheeled office chair and wheel myself up and down the hallways from one vending machine to the other. And it just seemed like a really cool life. And I can remember the day when I was in eighth grade sitting in my math class at Dixon Junior High School in Provo. And I made this decision in eighth grade, I'm going to get a PhD and be a professor. And I didn't know what I was going to study and what kind of a professor I was going to be. But I remember making that decision and then working really hard in high school In eighth grade. In eighth grade. That just came to you. Yeah, it just came to me. Isn't that weird? what triggered that for you? Like, what made you think, I'm going to get a PhD? Well, I I, I think I always loved school. I liked being a student. I liked learning. And I did well at it. And I think I figured, well, if you're, if you like learning and you like education, the highest level you can do it at is to be a university professor. So 
that's what I was aspiring to even in eighth grade. Wow. Okay. And then, so you proceeded to go into BYU and then what made you decide to go to MIT for your PhD? Why, why did you choose that school? So I started BYU as a freshman and I thought I was going to major in political science and the political science department recommended taking Econ 110, introductory economics course. So my fall semester of my freshman year, I took the introductory poli-sci course and the introductory economics course, and I just loved economics. It just clicked with how I think about the world. So I changed my major to economics and put all my effort into taking classes that would get me ready for graduate school. And at the time I was applying to graduate programs, MIT had the best PhD program in economics in the entire world. So I applied to MIT. Naturally, you're going to apply to that. (laughs) I applied to MIT and several other programs, and I was lucky enough to get into MIT, and I visited a handful of schools, and it was very, very clear when I visited the few schools that I'd gotten into that MIT was the, the place that really felt comfortable to me. And my husband was... So were you married when you went off to yes, MIT? Yes, yeah. Were, so I was okay. married and my husband was trying to get an MBA and he had been admitted to Boston University. Oh, so we moved to Boston and he was in school on one side of the river and I was in school on the other side of the river. Well, that's convenient. Well, that worked out great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then from there you went on and did what? Did you pursue being a professor from that point or yeah. did you work for a little bit or what, what did that look like? Yeah. So I, I graduated four years later and my first academic job was as an assistant professor at the Harvard University Economics Department. Perfect. And I left two years after that to go to the University of Chicago, where I was on the faculty of the business school for eight years. And then I left and went to the University of Pennsylvania, where I was on the faculty of the Wharton School for three years. So those were my two stints in business schools. And then I left Wharton in 2003 and went to the Harvard Kennedy School, which is the School of Government at Harvard. And I was there from, I think I got my dates wrong. I was was at the Harvard Kennedy School from 2006 to 2018 when I left to come back to BYU and become the dean of the BYU Marriott School. That's an incredible resume. I feel incredibly lucky and blessed. And if you had asked me to predict how my life would have turned out, that's not what I would have predicted. I went to MIT and my intention was to get my PhD and come back to BYU four years later and be the first female professor in the economics department. So so it took me 25 years to actually come back and, and do what I had yeah. planned originally, come back to BYU. But that laid such a strong foundation for the position you're in right now, didn't it? Yeah, I feel like I had some experiences that have been really valuable. So, you know, obviously spending 11 years at two different business schools was valuable background. Interestingly, being at a policy school for almost 13 years was also, I think, a good background for this position. We do have a the Romney Institute of Public Service and Ethics is in the Marriott School, and that's a unit that trains people to go and work in public administration and nonprofits. So my background there was relevant, at least to that one piece of the business school. But I think more broadly, the perspective in a policy school 
is very much around how do you improve the world and society at large and taking a you know a more open view about how to make the world a better place and you know that's just kind of how I've those are the people I've been hanging around with for the last while yeah. uh, you know so coming here to BYU my job is here as the dean of the business school but my you know the outlook that I'm trying to take at least is is how do I help all of the students succeed how do I help BYU Marriott contribute to the university as a whole contribute to society and not coming in from a business school means that I don't have any you know natural allegiances with the traditional economic departments in a business school so I feel like that helps me have a little more freedom and and be maybe a little bit more objective and Mm -hmm. and not not have to worry so much about people second guessing if I'm trying to favor one unit over over another because that's that's you know where I came from. I didn't really come from any of the traditional business departments. Yeah, how did you decide did you apply for this position or were you recruited to this position? How did this come to be? So about 2 years ago I got an email from one of the faculty who was on the search committee for the next dean and I'd met him a couple of times, didn't know him really well, and he sent an email and said, "Hey, we're looking for a new Dean at BYU Marriott, we think that you'd be a great candidate. Would you be willing to apply? And I thought, well, there's no way that they're going to be seriously interested in me because number one, I'm not at a business school, I'm at a policy school. And number two, the economics department had made four different offers to me over the years and I had turned them all down. And I thought, if they go look into my personnel file such as it is at BYU. Hold that file. There's been four denials. (laughs) They're going to decide I'm not really interested in them. But I had had this feeling for maybe a year or two before I got that email that something was going to change. Like I just felt like whatever I was doing, something was going to change in the next couple of years. And I thought it was going to be at Harvard. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, Going through the process would be a good thing for me because it had been over 10 years since I'd last interviewed for a job. And I thought, well, this will be if they want to consider me going through the process will be good. I'll learn some things, even though it's probably not going to go anywhere. So I said, sure, you can you can consider me. My husband and I both grew up in Utah and he had for a long time wanted to come back. So I thought, well, if it does go somewhere, at least this. This is a place to land. This is an, you know, this is an option that we might be, you know, might be worth thinking about. And then things just kept on going. Yeah. And here I am. Here you are, the new dean. Yeah. And the first female dean of the Marriott School. So what does that look like being the first female dean? Do you feel like you've been uh, received well and that your voice is heard and respected as a woman? Yeah. And I was a little bit worried about that coming in, whether there would be some people who would think that a woman shouldn't be in this role or whether there would be some people who would think I only got the role because I was a a woman. And I haven't felt any of that. I did know that if I accepted the position that me being in the job as the first woman in this role, that it would have a lot more significance to 
certain people Mm -hmm. than if they had hired another man to be the dean. And I understood that coming in and I completely underestimated how significant that would be. And, you know, the female students and even other faculty and staff across campus, there's, there's, there's clearly some meaning and some symbolism in this. And, you know, I've been to a number of events where I've spoken and had women in the room come up to me with tears in their eyes, just saying, thank you for being here. And, you know, I don't know exactly what I said that triggered those emotions, but I think having them see someone who has been both successful and faithful at the, at the same time has given them license to think differently about what they might want to do, what, you know, God might want them to do in their own lives. Well, right. And just to add on to that, the role of women in the church is basically to be staying at home with the kids. So how did you navigate the kind of the culture? That's a difficult culture to be a working woman in a family centered. Yeah. And there, um, and there were no role models. I felt like I was inventing it from scratch. And it wasn't just that there weren't role models for me at church. There weren't a lot of role models for me anywhere. So I had my first child in Chicago right after I had started my position at the University of Chicago. And I went into the dean's office after I got pregnant and I said, just want to give you a heads up. I'm pregnant. I'm wondering what the maternity leave policy is. And the dean, who was a man, looked at me and he said, oh, well, I don't know. We've never had a woman who was pregnant before. Let me go check on that and oh. get back to you. <laughs> yes, please do, because I'm keeping this job. <laughs> uh, and so he came back a couple of weeks ago and he's like, oh, well, we don't actually have a maternity leave policy. So so let's create one. So when I had my first child, there, there wasn't any any teaching relief. I had the baby in the summer and then, you know, went back to work in the fall and did my usual teaching load. Four years later, by the time I had my second baby, there were a handful of other female faculty who had been hired around the same time I was. And after I had my child, they put in a maternity leave policy. So four years later, with baby number two, they did have a policy that reduced the course load for women. So you kind of pioneered that for the University of and Chicago. I, and I did not set out to do that. That yeah. was not my intention. Yeah, but it just naturally came from that. It just happened. Yeah. yeah. So I, I didn't have any examples of how to balance work and family to look to. And I think I probably could have benefited from having some of those. But you know, yeah. we, we, we figured it out. We had a mix of different childcare arrangements. Most of the time we had a nanny that we were paying to come into our home. And that worked for me because it was a more flexible, it was a more flexible option. Mm-hmm. And at least for the first several years after we had kids, my husband was a consultant and he was out of town a fair bit. So it was useful to have someone live in who's flexible. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So did you get kickback from ecclesiastical leaders or did you ever feel uncomfortable with the fact that you were working professional in a church setting? What did that look like for you? I never got any explicit pushback from any church leaders, never. When our oldest daughter was a couple of years old, 
my husband was called to be the bishop of our ward in Chicago. And no one ever said anything directly to me, but I heard secondhand that there were some people who were surprised that the church had called my husband to be a bishop when his wife was working. And my answer to that was, well, God knows I'm working. So he must not have had a problem with that. Right. Great answer. You knew in eighth grade that you wanted to be a PhD. You have worked really hard in these positions that led you to an incredible position. And maybe that's what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, now I feel very much like that's what I was supposed to be doing because I can see how what I did has prepared me to be in the role that I'm at, that I'm in now. I couldn't see that at the time because I wasn't planning to do what I'm doing now. But I always felt okay with what I was doing in a large sense. Sometimes it did feel a little bit awkward at church. You know, most of the women were staying home with their kids and I didn't really fit in with them. And the men that were working, I didn't really fit in with them. So when we'd go to ward activities, <laughs> you know, it wasn't quite clear who well, who should I be talking to. But I would say in general, people were really encouraging. And maybe part of that has to do with we we spent, you know, 25 years in Boston and Chicago and, and Philadelphia, cultures, yeah. you know, big urban environments and yeah. at least certainly Philadelphia and, and Boston, you know, people were a little bit more liberal in their views of the ward and the mm-hmm. views of the world and a little bit more open-minded accepting. Yeah. A little more, more open-minded. Yeah. 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 Good. And when, by the time we moved to Boston the second time, which was in 2006, and we and were so yeah, we were I in our ward. Yeah, yeah. We're in the same ward together. Uh, and and you know most of the women in in the ward we were in were once again staying home with their kids. But I I felt like they were wonderful friends and they were always cheering me on. Yes, I agree. Uh, you know, I didn't. Not only did I did I feel like there was an absence of of judgment. I felt like it was exactly the opposite that that these women, even though they had chosen something different from themselves, that they were happy for you, happy for me and and excited for me to succeed. And that was really wonderful. Yeah. And I think you're right. Being in an urban culture like that, we're 20 minutes west of the city. I think people, there are a lot of working people and they're more open-minded towards that sort of thing would be different than if you're in Pocatello, Idaho. Yeah. You know, it's a little different. So great. So uh, let's see, what other influential leadership roles do you have in the church right now? In my ward, I'm a Relief Society teacher, so I teach a Relief Society lesson Perfect. once a month, Perfect. which which I love. Yeah. I lo- I've had that calling many times over the years, and that's probably the calling I enjoy the most. The best calling, yeah. I did that for a couple of years, and I was called to be Relief Society president. <laughs> I was I was just really grateful that when we moved here, that the bishopric gave me several months before they even talked to me about a calling because yeah. there were big startup costs in the job. And oh, I can only imagine we're, we're in a large ward. There are a lot of capable people. And yeah, when just put me on hold. I know Six I said months. that I, I did. <laughs> I said that to the bishop. We had our first meeting and I yeah. said, I have plenty to keep me busy with at BYU. Don't feel like you need to give me a calling anytime soon. Yeah, my plate is full <laughs> right now, but I'm happy. Six months. Give me a call. Oh, that's funny. So how is BYU different than your other experience? So you've been in an Ivy League experience at Harvard, then University of Chicago, you were at Wharton. So those are prestigious universities. And how does BYU differ in that way, being a religious institution? 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting. We're doing this interview here on December 6th. So we're getting ready for Christmas. It's an interesting time to think about the differences. So we've got Christmas trees all over the building. There's Christmas music. Playing. It, here. It, it, it's here <laughs> in a way that has never been true at any place else I've worked. So, you know, there's that obvious difference about being at a faith-based institution. You've got much more homogeneity in people's religious beliefs than you do at other places. And there's license to be public about it. Which it's, is so wonderful. Which is, you know, it, I mean, it's, it should be. it's wonderful for me. I know we have some students who are of different faiths. And as I was driving in today, I was actually wondering what their experience of the holiday season is like in a faith-based institution when they're of another faith. So, you know, we do have some students who I suspect are having a slightly different experience, but it's been wonderful to be able to feel like you can bring your whole authentic self to work every day and you don't have to compartmentalize your faith from your professional life. And in the church, our faith is so much a part of our life. It would be so hard to do that. You know, it's so nice. I think that's why so many kids aspire to come here because they can bring their whole self. They can share their faith and feel good about it and not feel worried about it. And it's cool to be righteous. It's cool to make good choices for themselves. It's cool to share their faith. You know, I know I felt that way when I came to BYU because I didn't really have member friends. I was raised back in Potomac, Maryland, and my best friend was Protestant. And I just came out here and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Like I can go to a devotional and be inspired. I can have a Book of Mormon class. I like all my friends are in my faith and and I they get me and I get them. It was liberating, you know, and to be able to lead out in a business institution where religious, you know, focus is there. That's unique. So I feel like it's a great blessing to be here. But, you know, I feel like there were other different types of blessings from being at the other places where I've worked over the past 25 years leading up to this. But it's great. It's great to be here. It's great to be here now. One of the other differences is BYU is primarily focused on undergraduates. And the Harvard Kennedy School is a graduate school, no undergraduates. You know, I would have a handful of undergraduates take my classes, but by and large, it's graduate students. And when I was at the University of Chicago, same thing. So most of my career has been spent working with older students. And now I have this, you know, I've got 2,500 undergraduate students who are in the Marriott School of Business, and they're a little bit younger, and they've got, you know, a different perspective and different challenges and different enthusiasm than the older students. So that's been something to get used to. And then BYU is really heavily focused on teaching Mm -hmm. and teaching well. And at least the faculty at BYU Marriott, they are here because they want to teach. That's the mission of the institution. And they will invest in trying to improve in ways that I have never seen any place, any place else. So, you know, we've got exceptional teachers and they still sit down at the end of every semester and read all of the student comments and figure out, okay, how can I improve when there isn't even that much room for improvement? And so they're totally dedicated. They're totally dedicated. And it makes it an amazing 
amazing place to be. Well, you have some pretty incredible people on your staff too. People who have been very successful in the business world. I know Kim Clark is here. We have the old dean of the Harvard Business Yeah, School. and then the president of BYU-Idaho, and, and he started working here in August on our faculty, and that's uh, amazing. But we have lots of other faculty and administrators who have had successful careers in business and then, you know, essentially retired early and decided they didn't want to spend all of their free time playing golf. They wanted to come give and give back to our students and, you know, are getting paid a tiny fraction of what they were being compensated when they were in the business world. But they have this amazing experience and they have this dedication to helping our students do well. And they're, you know, fantastic contributors to our community. And I I feel grateful and lucky that we have so many people that are willing to do that. And they check their egos at the door. Like you would never even know what they had done professionally if you were just sitting there talking to them because they're they don't bring it up well in life you want to have purpose right i mean you can work for the sake of the paycheck but then it's so much more fulfilling to work with purpose right and when they come here they can manifest that they can teach these kids their experience they can they have purpose they're fulfilled they're fulfilling the needs of these students i mean it's great they're taking their skill set their experience and blessing all these kids lives with it great and i think it's great for our students to see individuals like that who've been successful in all the traditional metrics that the world would use and to see to have our students see these people say yeah i did that but this matters too yes yes good perspective for them for sure well thank you so much bridget i love seeing you a good friend and also to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. I invite you to share this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Just click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're on Instagram, follow us at Podcast What Now for inspirational messages and highlights from our past and present episodes. We never say goodbye. We say what now. This has been a What Now podcast production.